Well, guys, it's good to see you. My name is Matt Carter. I'm the pastor of preaching here at the Austin Stone. Um, guy that started this church with a group of people several years ago, and, and it's an honor to be with you to preach uh, the word of God with you today. For those of you that have been around for a little while, you know I've been fighting a kind of a chronic cough for about a year now. It's been a long time, and, and over the last couple of weeks, it kind of got better in the summer, but over the last couple of weeks, it's kind of flared up. And so I apologize for that. I don't know if you've noticed, but I, I quit using the, the lapel. I'm sorry, using this handheld, so I kind of pull this thing away if I need to cough. So just bear with me. Um, one of these days, God's gonna heal it, uh, whether it's here on this earth or whether when I go to glory, either way, it's gonna be done one way or the other. Um, I'm looking forward to going to heaven. Any old people in here? There's like five of you. Y'all looking forward to going to heaven? I know I am. <coughs> my knees are gonna be better. My, my metabolism's gonna be better. It's gonna be good when I get to heaven. I'm looking forward to that day. So be patient with me for this stupid cough thing. Um, I want to invite you to open up your Bible, if you brought one, to the book of Exodus chapter 35. We're going to be in Exodus 35 verse 4. And um, we're continuing through the book of Exodus together. And uh, we're actually getting to a place where we're at a a text in the book of Exodus where we're going to stop for a couple of weeks. And um, I'm going to be camping out just kind of on this particular section of scripture for, I guess, three weeks. And, um, but I want to tell you kind of what's happening up to this point in the book of Exodus. Um, at the end of chapter 34, Moses has been meeting with God. Okay, Mo- Moses enters into the presence of the Lord and God begins to tell him all the things that he wants the people of Israel to do. God says, this is what I want the people of Israel to do. They're still in the desert. Now, it's a little interesting side note here. I just wanted to talk about this for a, a second here is that when Moses, because we didn't get into it last week, when Moses comes back from being in the presence of the Lord, one of the things that the scripture tells us is that Moses had to wear a veil over his face because his skin was shining because he'd been in the presence of of the Lord. And I just think that's awesome because that's a theme you actually see throughout all of scripture that whenever somebody has actually been in the presence of God, his glory kind of gets up all over them and they start shining. Um, Whenever angels show up on the scene in scripture, they're shining. When Moses and Elijah appear before Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration, they're shining. When, uh, when Jesus showed up and appeared to the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus, he was shining. And the point is simply this, that whenever you get into the presence of God, his glory gets on you and it's evident to everybody, right? That's just, a, but that's another sermon for another day. All right, just had to say that. All right, um, so Moses has come back from the presence of the Lord. His face is shining, he wears a veil and he comes down and he starts to tell the people, all right, this is what God says that he wants us to do as a people. Now let's look at this, Exodus 35, four. If you don't have a Bible, that's cool. We're gonna have the scripture up on the screen. And Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. All right, and I just wanna say this before we jump in today, that the God's not requesting the people of Israel to do what he's about to ask them to do. He's commanding them. (coughs) And he says, take from among you, this is God speaking, take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold and silver and bronze, 
blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen, goat's hair, <clears throat> tan ram skins and goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense and onyx stones and stones for setting for the ephod and for the breastplate. <clears throat> now, as we've discovered over the last few weeks, God has asked the people to build a tabernacle out in the desert. And if you remember, he hands, a couple weeks ago, we talked about this, he hand-selected these two guys named Bezalel and Oholiab. And once he hand-selected them, he gave them the ability to build the tabernacle. And now what God is doing is he's coming to Moses and he's saying, hey, these are the specific materials that I want you to use when you guys build the tabernacle. Now, I want you to notice what he says here in this text because God says something interesting and it's been a little bit different than just about anything he's done up to this point in the story of Exodus. God says to Moses to tell the people this. that He, he says, tell the people that I want all of you with a generous heart. God says, I want you to give. I want you to give from your wealth towards the building of this tabernacle. God says, I want you to give out of the, out of the, the stuff, the, the material, the, the wealth that I have given you towards this thing that I am asking for us to accomplish together. God says, some of you had silver and bronze. I want you to give that. God says, some of you have ram skins and, and goat skins and, and, and stuff like that. I want you to give those things as a contribution to the Lord. He says, some of you have acacia wood and oil and spices and onyx. I want you to give that. And God called all these things that he wanted the people to give back to him for the building of the tabernacle. He says, we're gonna call this the Lord's contribution, all right? So God has this thing. God has this task that he wants to be accomplished the building of the tabernacle and so he comes to the people and he says I want you with a generous heart I want you to be the ones to give out of your wealth so this thing can be done God says that I desire to be done now this is the question that I want to jump into and I want you to hear this because this is what we're going to be talking about really for the next three weeks <clears throat> is why does God do that why does God do that because if you think about it and I hear this if you think about it, up to this point in the book of Exodus, God has been the one that has been doing all the giving. Up to this point in Exodus, God has been the one that has been doing all the giving. <clears throat> when people needed freedom, God gave them their freedom. He rescued them from uh, their slavery. When they were out in the desert and God, God's people needed water, he gave them water. He provided for them water. When the people were hungry and they needed food, God gave them their food. He provided manna and quail. And so from this point to this point in the story, God has always been the one that's been providing. God's always been the one that's been giving. <clears throat> and then all of a sudden, God turns to his people and he says, now, I want you to be the one that gives back to me. I want you to be the one that gives back to me. He, he, God could have, think about it, he, he very easily could have snapped his fingers and provided all the gold and all the acacia wood and all the oil and spices and ram skins and snapped his fingers, sound of his voice, and it would have been there and said, all right, there's all the materials you need, now go do it, but that is not what he does. Why, at this point in the story, does God say, I have this thing that I want to be done and I want you to bring a contribution to me 
so that this thing can be accomplished. And again, that's what this series that we're about to talk about for the next three weeks is all about. So we bring up a slide here. Um, Over the next three weeks, we're gonna be talking about money from an eternal perspective. We're gonna be talking about money and looking at it from an eternal perspective because this command that we just saw the Lord give his people, God providing for us all that we have, and then in turn, him asking us to give a portion of that wealth back to him for his kingdom and for his purposes and his glory. This is a thing that we see through all of scripture. Now listen, why God commands us to do that, why God commands us to do that, and the importance of us walking in obedience to that is again what we're gonna be looking at. Now before I jump into anything else today, I wanna just stop and I wanna say a few things (coughs) to us as a church. A little housekeeping here. Um, I've been doing this a long time, folks. I've been a pastor for over 20 years, and, and it's been my experience that whenever a pastor stands up in a pulpit and starts talking about money, people just automatically get uncomfortable. And um, uh, it's, they get antsy. And some of y'all, uh, when, I, when I brought that slide up, some of y'all, like one dude just walked out the door right there in the back. Um, some of y'all, when I brought the slide up, y'all were like... Oh man, I, I hadn't come to church in like two weeks. And I got up this morning, I'm like, I'm going to church. And then you walked in the door and you saw the money slide and you're like, oh my gosh, I came on money Sunday. Bad timing. <laughs> Others of you, and then I guarantee you, there's somebody, somebody in this room, this happened to <clears throat> you brought a guest. You've been bugging them for a month and a half to come to Austin Stone. And like you already have leaned over to them and go, they normally don't talk about this. Um, I'm so sorry that I brought you on Money Sunday. Um, I've, had, I've had elders all morning long, elders and, and leaders be like, hey man, I'm praying for you. You know, I know <laughs> this is hard. But anyway, why is, here's the question, why is that? Why is that? Why when, why is it so uncomfortable to talk about money in the church? You know, because it's interesting when, whenever people talk about making money, everybody's all ears. You know, some of the, some of the best-selling books in history of the world have been, have been about people telling other people how to make money. You know, there are churches all over this country right now that are growing like crazy because they have pastors that stand in the pulpit and tell them, you know, God's desire for your life is to make you wealthy. And people, he wants to give you money and people come out of the woodwork to come and hear that. So, but, but, it, but when a pastor stands up in a, in a pulpit and starts talking about, hey, the Lord has this desire and this biblical picture of the Lord has this desire for you to give a portion of your income towards his kingdom, then all of a sudden people start getting uncomfortable. <clears throat> well, I think there's, a, there's two couple reasons for that, a couple of two reasons for that. Here's, here's the first one. And um, one of us is kind of easy for us to hear and the other is a little harder. I'll give you the easy one first. I think people get uncomfortable when pastors start talking about money because there's a perception, and rightly so, that church leaders have historically abused this issue. You know, I mean, how many stories have we heard over the years of televangelists and pastors and church leaders that they ask their people for money to give, they do it in the name of the Lord, and only to find out that, you know, later on it comes out that this pastor, church leader, televangelist, or whatever, has been using this money to enrich themselves. And that's, I think that's definitely one of the top couple of reasons why it's so kind of uncomfortable to talk about money in the context of the church. And, and I want to just say this before we 
jump really into this kind of three-week series at the, at the Austin Stone that, that we're doing, I just want you to know something about the heart and uh, of the leadership of this church. And if, if you know us, you know this is true. If you don't believe what I'm about to say, I encourage you to get to know uh, your campus pastor or your elder at your church and, and see that this is true, what I'm about to say. <clears throat> but every single one of the leaders of the church, when I say leaders, I'm talking about the pastors and the elders. We get, we are keenly aware of the fact and we believe with all of our hearts that one day we are gonna stand before a holy and a righteous God. You know, the, the God who, when you get around him, your face shines, that God. We are keenly aware that we are one day going to stand before a holy and a righteous and an almighty God and we are going to give an account for how we stewarded the finances of this church. And I want you to know something. We, in a very holy way, in a very good way, as leaders of this church, we fear the Lord. We believe he is alive. We believe he is on his throne. We fear the Lord. And we take that stewardship and that calling very, very, very seriously. So I just want you to know before we go any further about that. But that's the first reason. It's uncomfortable because people, leaders, have historically not feared the Lord and have used money for their own wealth. But here's the second thing, and this is what gets a little bit harder to hear, and this is where some of y'all probably start getting mad at me. But here's the facts. The second reason I think that people get so uncomfortable when pastors start talking about giving is that statistically speaking, um, and this is true, just as true for our church as any church in America, But statistically speaking, the vast majority of the people within the sound of my voice are not walking in a biblical picture of obedience when it comes to their finances. It's just a fact. The vast majority of the people in the sound of my voice are not walking in a biblical picture of obedience when it comes to our finances. And God has some some pretty clear guidelines, some some very strong things to say about money and and the guidelines when it comes to how you and I as as Christ followers are to steward our finances for the kingdom of God. And the truth is, is most of us just aren't doing it. We're just not. And I think that might be primarily why I get so uncomfortable when people start talking about it because deep down we know we're not doing it. And I think that that, is probably, I believe that is probably why Jesus talks so often about money. <clears throat> he talked about it all the time. See, for me to stand up in a pulpit and to, and to preach on the subject of money puts me in really, really good company, namely Jesus of Nazareth, the son of the living God. He talked about it all the time. As a matter of fact, and you may have heard this before, and this is fascinating to me, but 15% of everything that came out of the mouth of Jesus during his three-year ministry on earth was specifically dealing with the issue of money. Did you know that? 15% of everything Jesus talked about during his earthly ministry dealt with the single specific issue of money. That's a higher percentage than prayer. Did you know that? Jesus talked more about money than he did prayer. That blew my mind when I, when I studied that. Jesus talked more about money uh, than he did marriage. It's a higher percentage than marriage. Jesus talked more about stewardship of your finances and, and money's ability to own our hearts more than he did <coughs> the subject of getting married. Jesus, this, one, this one's crazy. That's a higher percentage than the subject of heaven and hell combined. 
Jesus talked more about money than he did heaven and hell combined. Why? Why why does Jesus talk so much about this subject, maybe more than any other issue? And here's the answer. Because Jesus knew, hear this, because Jesus knew that maybe more than any other single thing, money would be the doorway to idolatry for you and me. Jesus knew. He created us. Jesus knew that maybe more than any other thing, money, money would be that single thing, that one thing that would lead so many of our hearts down a path away from God. To the point that Jesus even said this, he said, how and where you spend your money would be, listen, would be one of the primary indicators of the true spiritual condition of your heart. Do you know that? Jesus said that how and where you spend your money would be one of the primary indicators of the true spiritual condition of your heart. And you hear that and you think, well, that sounds nuts. That Jesus would say that how we spend our money is one of the primary indicators of the true spiritual condition of our heart. I'm gonna show you where he says that in a minute, but if you think about it, it's not altogether a foreign concept. You know, when companies and businesses, when they're, when they're looking to ascertain the health, uh, their, their health as a company, where do they look? What do they look at? You know, they'll look at all sort of HR issues, external issues, inside issues, moral issues, or excuse me, morale issues and stuff like that. But, but what is the most important thing companies are looking at when they're trying to ascertain their health? They look at the bottom line. It's called the bottom line. How much money is is coming in and how much money is going out. And again, what's fascinating to me is that Jesus said that maybe more than any other thing, you can judge the spiritual health of a man or a woman by that exact same bottom line. And I'm gonna, again, I'll show you here in just a second. When Jesus was trying to get to the bottom line of whether or not a person's heart truly belonged to the Lord. He didn't talk about church attendance. Jesus never said, hey, if you're going to church three out of four Sundays, then your heart probably belongs to God. He never said that. When when Jesus was trying to get to the, the bottom line of whether a person's heart really belonged to him, did you know he never talked about theology? He never said theology is the kind of the primary indicator, the spiritual health of of your heart. He never said, all right, if if you're a non-dispensational, post-millennial eschatologist with strong reform-leaning soteriology, then yes, you are a true follower of Christ. He never said that. Check this out. Jesus never once mentioned how many hours you spend in prayer. It's kind of this primary indicator of the true spiritual condition of your heart. But here's what he did say. He did say, hey, if you really wanna know who or what owns your heart, if you wanna know who or what is sitting on the throne of your heart, Jesus, not me, Jesus said, look at your money. That's how you know. Turn there with me quickly. Matthew chapter 6, 19. Matthew 6, 19. 
Jesus said in verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves. One translation says store. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves or lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now watch verse 21. It's a verse that the vast majority of us in this room, if you've been in church a while, have heard. Maybe it's new for you, but I want you to hear what he says. Hear this with fresh ears today. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Here's what he said. And I believe, church, I believe with everything that's in me that this is right because I've seen it in my own life. What he just said is where you are placing your treasure, where you are spending your treasure, where your treasure is going, that's where your heart is gonna be. If you know where, if you wanna know where your heart is, look at where your treasure is because your heart always, always, always follows after your treasure. It always does. Think about it. When you buy a stock or, or if you put money in a 401k, how often do you check that stock? How often do you look at your 401k? Now, I know that in, in downtown campus here, I know there's a lot of college students you're like, man, I'm just trying to find lunch money in my couch. So I don't have any idea what you're talking about. But just imagine for a second that you did have money and if you bought some stock, how often would you look at that stock? <coughs> you'd, look at, you'd look at it all the time. Um, if, you, if you've ever bought a new house or a new car, I'm telling you so much of how you feel about that new house or that new car is dependent upon the deal that you got on that new house or new car. And why, why is that? Why is that? And I'm, I'm probably gonna get fired for telling this story, but it's too good of a story, so I got to tell it. Um, and what I'm about to tell you, I'm not advocating, and I've only done this one time, so do not email me, all right? <laughs> Pastor Harlem and I, years ago, were in Vegas, and we were at a conference, and uh, we're all laughing. Um, <laughs> we were in Vegas, or a conference and we got bored. And so Hall M had the idea that we should go to the casino. <laughs> and I hate casinos. I don't know if you've ever been in one. They're smoky. It's just gross. They're gross. But we went in there and we went to the little sports betting place where you could bet on games. <clears throat> and there was, it was the time of year where it was just, um, it was like basketball on and there were no NBA games on. It was just college basketball. And there was just a couple of, kind of unknown, un, you know, directional school teams that were playing, but Holland and our boards were like, let's do this. And so we bet two bucks a piece. <clears throat> it was like Southern Illinois State versus Western Idaho Tech or something. It was these two directional schools. We'd never heard of them in our lives. And I'm gonna tell you something. I'm kind of a football guy and a baseball guy. I, I don't like basketball. Like I don't even, I don't even watch the finals the NBA. It's just not my thing. I've never really been into it. <clears throat> but something happened. Something happened when I put $2, when I bet two bucks on Southern Illinois State, right? Now this, this, I'm telling you, this is a team that if I were flipping through the channels at home on my couch and I saw Southern Illinois State versus Western Idaho, you know, tech, I would, I would not stop and pause for two seconds and give a rip about anything that was going on. 
but something happened when I put two bucks on, on that team on Southern Illinois. I could not stop watching the game. I watched every single second of that game, every pass, every single shot. I was glued in, and at the end of the game, the team that I bet on won the game, and you would have thought, I'm telling you, you would have thought that Texas had beat Baylor, man, at the end of October. I mean, Olive and I jumped up, and we started going crazy. We're high-fiving each other. We're like, wow, we're screaming. Total stranger next to me that had the, the bet on Illinois State, too. I'm hugging him. I'm like, I love you, man. I love you, too. And we were going crazy. Now, most of y'all are too godly to have ever done anything like that, I understand. <clears throat> but hang with me for just a second. Why did that happen? Why did that happen? Because if I'm just watching those two teams in real life, I couldn't care less. But I put my treasure on it. Two bucks. And my heart followed after it. Okay? That's what Jesus is talking about. A really stupid, small example of what Jesus is talking about on a really big scale. He says, if you really want to know who or what owns your heart, don't look at church attendance. Don't look at your theology. Those are just like external indicators. He says what Jesus did. He said, look at your money. And, and I think the whole point <laughs> that he's trying to make is this, is he's saying that if, if you're a person that is placing first your treasure into the kingdom of God, then it's probably because your heart belongs to the kingdom of God. And, and when you place your treasure into the kingdom of God, your, your heart is gonna follow that treasure into the kingdom of God. Do you see that? But if, but if your finances are primarily or exclusively going to your own kingdom, then what Jesus is saying is that your heart's gonna follow that money exclusively into your own kingdom. Now, let me just kind of say kind of a difficult thing here. Let me just cut right to the chase. And here's here's kind of the scary thing that I think that Jesus is implying through this. And what I think Jesus is implying is that it's entirely possible. It's entirely possible for you to have all these outward appearances of a follower of Christ, and yet your heart absolutely not belong to the Lord. I think that's what the, that's kind of the, the haunting part of this verse. Because at the end of the day, you might be a person that goes to church, you might be a person that serves, you might have all the right theology, but, but what Jesus is implying here is it's entirely possible for money to be sitting on the throne of your heart. That you're not really following Jesus. And I wanted to start landing the plane today on this sermon by just finishing up with a, a real quick story of, of, of just a really clear word picture of that very thing happening. Last thing, don't turn there. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. Story of a guy that comes up to Jesus and says, how do, how do I go to heaven? And their interaction is, is, is pretty fascinating. In chapter 19, verse 16, it says, and behold, a man came up to him, that's Jesus saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And by the way, the Bible historically calls this guy the rich young ruler. He's a rich guy, young rich guy. <clears throat> he comes up to Jesus and said, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And so the rich young ruler said back to Jesus, which ones? 
It's a good question. Jesus says, keep the commandments. The guy's like, which ones do I need to be keeping? And here's what Jesus said to him. Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. That means the lie. 19, he says, honor your father and mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young guy, the rich young guy starts feeling good about himself. Verse 20, it says, the young man said back to Jesus, all these I have kept. Guy's feeling good about himself. He's like, I got this, I'm doing this. Jesus, all these I have done. And then he asked a tough question to Jesus. He said, hey Jesus, is there anything else I'm, I'm lacking? It's like he knew that Jesus would know. He says, is, is there anything else that I lack? All right, now I want you to stop right there and I want you, I want you to think about something. Here's a guy that from all outward appearances would look like somebody that loved the Lord. Any, anybody that's looking at this guy from the outside would say, this is a man of God. This is a guy that doesn't cheat on his wife. This is a guy that doesn't steal. This is a guy that, that doesn't lie. This is a guy that honors his parents. This is a guy that serves his neighbors. And so when Jesus lists off all those commandments, the guy's like, sweet, I've done all this stuff, but Jesus, is there any other thing I'm missing? And I want you to watch what Jesus says to him, Luke verse 21. And Jesus said, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor. And then you'll have treasure in heaven. And then you can come and follow me. God says, is there anything else I'm lacking, Jesus? And then Jesus looks right at the guy and does heart surgery on him. Because Jesus knew something about this guy. Jesus knew that this rich young guy loved money more than he loved the Lord. Jesus knew that. Jesus knew that this guy loved money more than anything. Jesus knew that although this guy was religious and had all this cool stuff going on in his life that anybody could have looked at and said, this guy's got it together, Jesus knew that money really at the end of the day was sitting on the throne of this man's heart. And Jesus looks back at him and says, hey, that you're doing all that other stuff. I want you to know that's awesome. But if you really want to follow me, you got to take that thing that's sitting on the throne of your heart and you got to take it off and you got to let me sit on that throne. And then, and then you can truly follow me. Jesus knew he had that thing. And look at the guy's response. It's really sad. Maybe one of the saddest verses in the whole Bible. In Matthew 19, 22, when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. <clears throat> and God, why, why did the guy walk away? Why did the guy walk away? Because even though this guy, he, 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 he had all this religious stuff going on again at the end of the day, this rich young ruler had another God. He looked religious, but he had another God that he was worshiping. And Jesus said, my followers can't have other gods. And what it looks like for you to take the God of money off the throne of your heart is you're gonna have to give it away. And because that young man was unable to reroute his treasure, couldn't do it, he was unable to reroute his heart. 
and he walked away and he missed out on Jesus, the greatest treasure of all. I asked you a question earlier in the sermon and I wanna go ahead and answer it, but here's the question again. If God up to this point in the story of Exodus has been doing, has been the one that's been doing all the giving to the people of Israel, then why at the building of the tabernacle? Why at the building of the tabernacle does God all of a sudden stop and say, now I want you to give back to me? Out of your wealth, with a generous heart, I want you now to be the one that gives back to me. Why does he do that? And here's the answer. And if you don't hear anything I say today, I want you to hear this. Why was the tabernacle supposed to be built in the first place? So that the Lord would be worshiped, right? And so here's the question. Why does God now say, you give back to me? Here's the answer. God wanted his people, listen, God wanted his people to give from their wealth for the building of their tabernacle because when they did, what they were saying is, God, I love you and I love the worship of your name more than I love my silver and gold. And so, Lord, because I love your name, And because I love the worship of your name more than my silver and gold, Lord, here it is. This is for you. This is for your glory. This is my contribution to the glory of your name. And what happened in the rich young ruler is because he loved his silver and his gold more than he loved the Lord and the worship of his name, he couldn't give it up and he walked away. That's what this whole thing is about. And what I fear for so many of us in this room is we make that same exact decision like the rich young ruler at every paycheck we get. We're doing all this other stuff that makes us feel good about ourselves. We go to church, we serve, we do all that stuff. But when it comes down to our paycheck, we say it's mine. And our, the way that we steward our money looks no different than the rest of the world. So over the next couple of weeks, we're gonna, we're gonna talk about a lot of this stuff. We're gonna talk about tithing, is it biblical? Do we need to do it? How much? Is this really what God wants? Is it an Old Testament concept? Is it a New Testament concept? We're gonna talk about a, a bunch of stuff that I hope will be really applicable to you. And, um, but right now, here's what I wanna do. And we're, in, we're done. I'm gonna bring the band up. <clears throat> but here's what I wanna do. I don't want you to move around. I just want you to, I wanna ask you a simple question. And I want you to do business today with the Lord and do business today just in the quietness of your own hearts with God. But here's the question I wanna ask you. Based on what we've learned from Jesus today, is the Lord really sitting on the throne of your heart? Is the Lord really sitting on the throne of your heart? Or is there someone or something else that is? And, and, and if you can say, if, when you pray, if you can, you can honestly say, yes, God, I think that there is something that is sitting on the throne of my heart. God, just like Jesus said, money is the one thing that I cannot walk away from. Then what I want you to do is I want you to ask today, I want you to ask the Lord to give you the strength to walk away from your idolatry You know, one of the fascinating things about this story is what Jesus said right after the rich young ruler walked away. It's the part a lot of preachers leave out. 
Rich young ruler couldn't give up money, so he, he lowered his head and he walked away sorrowful. And then Jesus turned around to the crowd and he looked at all the crowd and he said, I want you to understand something. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich guy to go to heaven. Here's what Jesus literally just said, and I don't want to, we're done, so I don't want to go on all the Greek and all that stuff. He just said, hey, I want you to know how utterly impossible it is for a rich man to go to heaven. But then he said, some of the best news you'll ever hear. Because if he had stopped right then and said, hey, it's impossible for a rich guy to go to heaven, then almost everybody in this room, we're not going. But he said this. It's impossible for rich men to go to heaven, but nothing is impossible with God. That's what he said. And so if you're here today and you're like, Matt, yeah. I got lots of stuff. Money's just one of them. I got lots of stuff sitting on the throne of my heart. I want you to know, cry out to the Lord today. He can do the impossible in your life. If you just say, hey, I'm gonna go do better, it won't last. But if you say, God, I need you to take a camel like me and you put me through the eye of the needle, he can do it. Let's pray. Take just a second and uh, maybe just have a conversation with the Lord, just the two of you. Father, I'm prone to wonder. Lord, I, I feel it. I'm prone to leave the God that I love. And so, Father, here's my heart. I pray that you would take and seal it. Seal it for your courts above. Jesus, I confess in front of all these people that they're have been so many things that I have treasured above you. Lord, I pray that you would do the impossible in my heart and you would heal me from that folly. I ask these things for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, church, let's stand together.